0: In the countryside in England to stay with an absent minded professor. And in their loneliness and displacement, and in these conditions of confinement, they played hide and seek. And one day, the littlest girl in the family of four kids, Lucy, made her way to a wardrobe, a freestanding closet, and entered a secret, through a secret passageway, a magical kingdom called Narnia. And this is where I dropped the story. But notice, the first thing that Lucy encountered was a magical animal a fawn who could talk and play music. And he was quite wonderful. And just notice that detail. Lucy meets an animal. And think of how lovely and enchanting it feels to encounter the animal of the body. You notice right now, when you just begin to bring your attention to sensation, even while you're just listening to me, there's something about it that brings a feeling of ease, a new life. Ah, sensation. The world of sensation the animal of the body, which has its own intelligence. So Lucy went to have tea with the magical fawn, and he played music for her, and it was quite delightful until he started to cry he started to cry and confessed to her that the truth was this whole magical kingdom was under a spell, it was completely frozen under the spell of a wicked witch, very powerful. And that he, in fact, was obliged to turn her in. All humans had to be turned into this witch. Uh, she said, please don't, and he agreed he wasn't going to do it. So I just want you to notice, so we're just beginning to settle in with our nice animals, our bodies. That The first thing that we encounter when we sit after the magic of returning to the present sensation often are, are these painful emotions that will come up. And in Buddhism, they're called mind states because they're frozen. They're feelings that are connected to particular points of view, particular values, so that they have sharp edges. They don't feel good. So we have this stark contrast between the warmth of the body and this frozen feeling that can appear, these edges, so uncomfortable. And so Lucy went back through the wardrobe and told her brother and sister, Actually, one sister and two other brothers about Narnia. And and I'll keep it brief. Um, They eventually all went back to Narnia. And all kinds of things ensued. But in order to free the kingdom from this frozen state, The kids had to contact a magical lion named Aslan, a lion. What do we associate with lions? Courage, a heart, a heart. And there would be many events that would draw on their courage and their ability to go beyond what they knew to be in alignment with Esalen and this great goodness of life, this great goodness. So I want to draw this to its natural dharma conclusion. And it's not just dharma. In every ancient tradition, including Christian, in every tradition, Sufism, every tradition, there is a distinction between ordinary emotion and deeper feeling, the deeper wisdom of the heart. We drop into the heart And as we we settle in with our animals, because, of course, Aslan and, and the children were in league with all kinds of wonderful animals, beavers and fawns and, you know, all kinds of animals, like our animal, willing, willing to take part in this great thawing, this great opening. we take our seat in the center of sensation. And as we notice these frozen emotions, these mind states, these edges, these sometimes excruciatingly uncomfortable feelings, judgments, regrets, remorse, all kinds of things, grief, as we allow them to be present, as we sink into sensation more and more, we notice that there are feelings in us, a quality of feeling that's more closely aligned with sensation than with our thinking with our mind states and that we notice like in these moments of great courage when we let ourselves feel our pain, just plain feel it. Our grief, our resistance, our loss, our fear, just feel it. We notice something extraordinary. There is an opening in these feelings. And sometimes, just for a moment, in the midst of our loneliness, we feel belonging, a belonging to life. In the midst of our grief, sometimes we feel love. In the midst of longing for something we can't even name that isn't present, that we so long to be present. We feel just that presence, vibrant presence. So we discover suddenly that this myth of the Buddha going into the forest takes on extraordinary new meaning. He cut off all other escapes for himself and discovered that there is a secret passage we can drop into the depths of our own hearts, our own body minds. We discover Moment by moment that we're not stranded, alone, but part of a greater life. Just for a moment. And it has such a precious taste. It's so free. So we're not just getting through life. We're becoming part of it. and we discover something just for a moment. Oh, I lost it, I didn't want really to read it anyway. That the scale of presence, that there is, what I meant Narnia, the thing that's also so wonderful about it is that there is in all children Including adult children like ourselves, the sense that we are secretly capable of a greatness that we haven't been called to show. And we discover in the simplicity and and privacy of this practice just how it can be expressed one moment at a time. We leave the isolation of our thinking and our heads and our stories and our states to drop into the great heart of compassion, great heart of compassion as it's called in Buddhism. The great heart of the world of the whole.
1: So let's sit together. Take a comfortable seat.
0: And let your back be straight. straight as it can comfortably be
1: and let your head rest easily on your neck and notice how it feels to be in a body.
0: And don't strive to change anything, just notice how it feels to be here
1: today. Just allow
0: the animal of the body to be present
1: just as it is with an attitude of kindness, of acceptance.
0: Noticing the life inside the body. Without thinking or naming it, just let yourself feel that it's alive.
1: notice that your
0: attention
1: Notice how it feels to be present. But when
0: you get distracted by thinking, you can gently come back again to sensation.
1: The sensation of being present.
0: yourself to accept everything that comes up. Thinking,
1: distraction, settling, sensation. And notice that acceptance
0: itself
1: quiets and settles you. your experience be fluid, not fixed, changing. When you get lost,
0: just notice this with kindness and come back,
1: back to sensation. Notice how it feels to let the heart rest. Just rest in stillness. No rush, no striving. yourself sink into sensation. in stillness, in presence, letting the heart be at ease. presence that's here.
0: for your practice, for your stillness. And if you have questions or observations about this practice, this teaching,
1: we'd love to hear them.
2: I, I have something, I have something to say. (laughs) Um, it's just an observation, but it was such a pleasant one. And I think it was thanks to you. Anyway, that idea of your thoughts, talking to you in another language is one that I was trying, I've tried, you know, in the past to varying states of success but I was trying it last night when my thoughts were just annoying and rampant. And and I sort of got to a level of success. I can't say that they were actually talking to me in another language, or if I just understood the concept of not understanding your own thoughts. It's like I I, I somehow had made a leap. And in that leap for a moment, I just I got filled with this weird disconcerting feeling of what loneliness or abandonment or isolation or something and just as quickly what welled up was this was this realization that it's not your thoughts the words it's not the words and the thoughts that are actually keeping you company because that was it it was like I've lost my my company I've lost my companion which are these swirling thoughts but just as quickly and kind of just momentarily there was this assurance or this realization this realization of it's not the words it's the feeling of compassion it's the con- it's the feeling of of love somehow <laughs> that is that is what actually keeps me company when it's actually consoling and helpful <laughs> And it was just momentary, but it was such a lovely, specific feeling of um, I don't know of what we seek, <laughs> of what we seek in that in that calmness and assurance of not of of not being alone in yourself, you know, of having the companionship <clears throat> of yourself something
0: like that anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, I'm so glad that you shared that observation, because as fleeting as you may have experienced it as being, it's also momentous in the sense that um, the heart of this practice and its real promise Um is to begin to know that we're made of different parts, not just our thinking and different energies, not just the kind that come in words. And that, yes, we are met at moments by, as you say, love and compassion And in other traditions, not just Buddhism, they talk about dropping into the cave of the heart or this deeper place. And we begin to discover what uh, one of my teachers once said so memorably, which is the truth cannot be thought. The truth that we seek isn't in words, in formulas, in philosophy. It's what we really seek even without knowing it, is a kind of action which is an opening uh, to drop into our deeper heart mind to to discover for ourselves, not just from editors or a book, that we're made of different energies and vibrations and this sense, this capacity to love. And that it can feel, it's so interesting to reflect that so many of these great beings were either in monasteries, or in the desert, or in caves, and and otherwise isolated, completely cut off, and there discovered, including the Buddha, of course, What you tasted for a moment, the end of separation of loneliness, just for a moment, is joining with something much bigger and freer and more alive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's astonishing we just keep Um, looking, we're conditioned to keep looking in our thinking for the answer. And we almost, it's by exhaustion or under great duress that we abandon thought and drop into presence and at moments discover it's vast Yeah. yeah. oh and the other thing is then we think we can do it we think we can do it and you keep trying to do it like oh I know how to do it and like I'll wear exactly this outfit that I had on when I had that moment and I'll do everything the same way and it won't repeat because the head takes everything and that don't take that personally it's not just you that's what the ego does and that, I mean, I've spent Decades with thinking. Now I have it. Now I have the answer. And and to slowly discover that this really is a process of letting things be, of acceptance, and kind of hired this wonderful. Uh, Quote or paraphrase about from Brother Steindl Ross talking to Jack Cornfield, this wonderful, uh, I think, Trappist monk. And he said, There is a Catholic theologian, oh, I forget the name, who said, Would they talk about leaving the body? But I don't think that's the way it is. We exceed the body, that at certain moments of presence, it's like uh, gathering this kind of honey, that we're part of this greater life, this greater heart, this greater love. And that's what coming home to presence is being present, just a simple moment of presence. A cup of tea, uh, looking at the sky, becoming aware of the sweetness of perception, of sensation. These simple, very, very concrete and direct. Actions of return to this body and this life at moments is also a way of accumulating these impressions. Oh, I'm not just thinking, I'm part of this feeling. I'm part of this sensation. And accumulating, accumulating these brave moments is a way, according to this wonderful brother, of literally growing beyond the limitations and loveliness of this body. Not to get too far out here, but it's just that presence isn't just something nice to do when we think of it. Presence, a practice of presence, is also a way out of sickness, old age.
1: And death.
3: Can I? Um, I want to sort of continue on the the subject of loneliness, the topic of loneliness, and um, I really struggle. I don't know why I used to have a solid practice and I really struggle. I don't know why with with being alone in my practice. And it's very hard and it's been very hard for a long time to just sit down on my cushion and be alone. And so I tend to listen to a lot of guided meditations and (laughs) what came to me, (laughs) you know, how in meditation, your thoughts are just firing away. And so what came to me for a minute was that's cheating. It was like a judgment of, like I was feeling the pain of loneliness because i always touch that in my meditation but i try to avoid it by doing guided meditations versus i don't know it's like the vastness of loneliness just not that i don't have moments of pure compassion and love but it sometimes feel like feels like the dominating feeling is loneliness and so I guess what I'm asking is, you know, is it is it bad or is it cheating to do guided meditations? Like, do I really want to work towards not doing guided meditations?
0: I hope not. <laughs> um, it's not cheating. It's not cheating what we're here to do let, for let me reassure you we're all um, here because there's pain and including the pain of loneliness and loss and grief and all kinds of pain and we are here to learn to just Distinguish to discriminate at moments the difference between thinking. So you're listening to guided meditation and you find yourself carried along by the voice of whoever you're listening to. You're with them. And you begin to discover, oh, this is thinking. It has my attention. And then at another moment, you might suddenly, or your own thinking, you go whirling away in the night. For one daring moment, you decide, I'm going to just feel the pain. I'm going to just plain feel it. And you let yourself drop into it, and you notice, I'm in mean, sensation. And you notice oh, this isn't what I expected. It changes. It opens. And then, after a while, you're back to thinking. It's not the first of all. Mindfulness is not meant to be a kind of instrument of torture. A kind of interrogation like at the police station with the lights blazing and you're under under scrutiny with no hope or comfort, just scrutiny. It's meant to be a technique, a guide rope, a practice where you can begin to discover this is thinking, now I'm sensing, now feeling is opening and you can begin for yourself, oh, now I can feel just for a moment the difference between a deeper feeling and an emotion, AKA mind state, which might be laden with a story or a judgment. You know, like this is loneliness, loneliness is bad. It's very bad. And all the good people of the world are in some big, either at least with a partner, or some big happy communal household. But not me. So, and that is bad. And like that. And, and to instead just for a moment to drop in. And then sometimes see the pain can open. There's a doorway. And just for a moment, love or presence in the middle of longing, presence. So, you know, basically, this is a tool for investigation, compassionately. And we do all kinds of things. We read, we listen to guided meditation. We come to our sangha to remember that we have lots of company. And one last thing I want to repeat before we close is if you wake up at three in the morning, there's a better than even chance that Tracy's gonna be awake too, or somebody else. And you can really, I invite you to realize you have company. You have lots of company. And company in that feeling of going from torment to feeling. That strange feeling of collision. Because, you know, it's good news. It's good news when you have that horrible feeling that, of catching yourself thinking. And it feels so out of step with life. It's good news because that means you're waking up to the presence of things that are more alive in you. So, so you, you take that with you know a tiny bit of hope that this is actually what waking up feels like. And then I have company. I mean it. You do. So if any of you wake up at 2.30 or 3, Tracy is also probably awake.
1: So we'll give give you a call. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you text. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Actually, you know, I went on a retreat one time and not at a Buddhist center, but in the woods in a little place, and we did a 3 a.m. sitting, and it seemed completely insane at first, but, you know, we all with little flashlights in the woods in our jammies and sat together. For like twenty minutes, and then went back to bed. And there was something so special about it.
3: I find it at three in the morning when I wake up. I just go to your website, and I do one of your meditations, and I don't feel alone because I have. It's like it's like you are there. And a friend told me a friend who works with Joe Dispenza told me that he says that. In the middle of the night is the most effective time to meditate in some ways. And sometimes I get it gets me back to sleep and sometimes it's just a really good meditation.
0: Yeah, good, and yeah, a lot of monks do get up at three. Yeah, so anyway, as we conclude tonight, I can see from our faces, we have a lot of company at 3 in the morning, and yet you could text me sometime. Maybe we'll actually do this if, it, if there are enough people. But um, in the meantime, just know that you have company. And we'll take our seats for one last minute. Sitting together, putting two hands together in our hearts, space wish to really honor and express gratitude for this practice and the sangha and the teaching and the Buddha, and we let it shine out, including ourselves, with the wish that all beings everywhere, without exception, be safe and protected from harm in danger. May they know that they're accompanied by wisdom and compassion and by other beings just like them. May all beings everywhere have ease of heart. May all beings everywhere
1: be free. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your practice.